0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This episode has been recorded at BreakoutCon 2018, Toronto's premier tabletop gaming convention for board games and role-playing games. This recording has been made possible thanks to the organizers of BreakoutCon and the fine contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 150, Breaking into Board Game Design. Presented by Fung Lim, Rob Davio, Alicia Tulk, Nicole Hoy, and moderated by Daryl Andrews. Thank you. Thanks everyone for showing up. Uh, if you're here for breaking into board game design, you're in the right place. If you're not, well, guess what? You're with us. So thank you for joining us.
1: You may not leave.
0: <laughs> you may not leave. You're stuck. Uh, so actually, I'm just going to have each of our panelists introduce themselves. I'm going to start on the far end with Alicia, sure. and they're going to say a little bit also about their, uh, we'll get into details, but just like how they're connected to board games.
2: Just for sure. in short. So, hi, I don't know if you can see me in back. Hi, I'm Alicia. Um, I'm Alicia Talk. I'm one half of Dancing Giant Games. My other half is Kevin. He's actually in here. He's pretty cool too. Um, we started designing games a couple years ago. Kevin actually started, and I saw how bad it was. So I came in and I decided to help him fix it up. And from there we've been designing together. We come to snakes and lattes, we go to as many community events as we can. Yeah, that's that's about it for a brief intro.
3: Perfect. Hi, I'm Fung Lim. I'm apparently losing my voice. Oh, um, I'm one half of the Bamboozle Brothers, I guess. Uh, Jake Cormier and I design a lot of games. I also design with uh, Jesse Wright and a lot of okay. other people. Um, I'm part of this thing here, People Syrup. Uh, Daryl and I used to do that together. So I design games, I do a lot of media creation, and I develop games for other companies. Rob. Cool.
4: I'm Rob Davio. Uh, I This is my 20th year as a professional board game designer. I was 14 at Hasbro and now 6 on my own. I don't know exactly how many games I brought to market because working at Hasbro is a little bit of a sausage factory uh, in terms of having lots of games come through the door. And that's about it. I'm, I'm not local. I'm the only non-local, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm the American. <laughs>
1: Hi, I'm Nicole. I've never ever published
5: a board game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not yeah. out,
1: I, uh, I mostly review games. I write for the Daily Worker Placement site. Uh, and I also co-host a podcast called Great Way Games about the culture of board gaming.
0: And Is that okay? And she's an aspiring
1: designer.
0: <laughs> so so we have different perspectives here on our panel and uh, hopefully that kind of represents also the spectrum that we have here in the room and so we'll go through some questions uh we're gonna actually have a, a you know we'll, i'll kind of pitch a few questions but we'll also do uh questions with the crowd so if you have a burning question save it to the end and uh we'll try to answer as many as we can and if we run out of time i feel confident in saying that each of the panelists uh, love interacting on topics like this so you can also reach out to them and, and talk to them about games uh, through Twitter or while they're here or things like that. So um, as we start, I just uh, thought we would start with kind of each of the designers' origin stories and so uh, just kind of go through what uh, connected them to games and then what made them think about maybe working on a game. So uh, y- you can kind of go in whatever order you want, but
4: who wants oldest. To? oldest
0: oldest yeah i'm <laughs> so happy I we need more
4: rules now <laughs> that's the first thing is the oldest player starts now that i've reached a certain part of my life that would be a big help thank you um i have an unusual origin story in that it was sort of uh, unique and, and unexpected at the time and hard to duplicate uh hasbro had consolidated parker brothers and milton bradley into one building i actually applied to be a copywriter uh, to fill a slot because some people couldn't move unbeknownst to me, my resume got passed to Mike Gray, who was looking for a game designer with a writing background. I got called for an interview. They didn't tell me it was for a game designer and not a copywriter. I show up at the interview and I realize I'm being interviewed to be a professional game (sighs) designer and I just had to kind of make it up on the spot. Luckily I'm pretty good at thinking on my feet. And so I talked my way into a job. Uh, and then I had to do the job and I spent 14 years there sort of in a way where I got paid whether I made good games or bad games or had a piece of a game or took someone else's game or took a classic game. So it was a wonderful sort of apprenticeship and and journeyman experience of learning games with other designers. You can't duplicate this for a lot of reasons. It was unique at the time and Hasbro honestly doesn't hire many game designers anymore. They hire a lot of toy designers and ask them to learn game design. That was an ongoing thing during my career there, and it's really sort of calcified in that place. Uh, There was also no board game geek at the time. Uh, There were no Euro games, they were German games. Uh, And so there was a lot of, the the market has shifted a lot in 20 years. So I have a lot of uh, experience within the industry, but sort of a unique path. I'm still happy to answer questions as best I can, uh, but I'm a little out of sync with with everyone else's story here. That's what
3: happens when you get old,
4: Rob. It is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> also, speaking of somebody that's old... Yeah, um, he's like a year but, uh, younger. Than I know. I know. <laughs> a year younger and several inches shorter. Um, so, my path into board games was basically being a gamer, first and foremost. Um, I cut my teeth on Dungeons & Dragons in the basement of a university when I was six years old type thing. My parents didn't know what to do with me, so they brought me to hang around with a bunch of older bearded guys in the basement of a university, and from there, and this was in the 70s when like mazes and monsters was a thing, um, did you guys ever see that, mazes and monsters, Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks. I wasn't in, alive. I know you weren't alive, <laughs> um, and that's how old no, no. Alicia is. Uh, so from there, I met um, Jay, my one of my co-designers in Epic Master in Hamilton at university, and his very first question to, to me as I met him at a house party was, hey, do you want to see my Amiga? Do you guys know what an Amiga is? Okay, so it's an old Commodore computer. And from there, we just had a friendship that revolved around games. Like, everything was games, 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 games. And eventually, this magical game called Magic came around. <laughs> and we figured out that, oh, we understand how this actually works. And we see behind kind of the veil of... of a game is designed and we thought we're smart people we can make a game and so we did and it sucked and we put that on a shelf for several years and fast forward um, Jay's moved out west uh, to work at Best Buy headquarters in Vancouver I had I think a child on the way at the time Uh, I was married and you know I had started my my practice in uh, uh, Hamilton at the time and we decided that you know, we needed something to do to stay friends. It was really weird. Um, we were always very good friends, but we needed something to revolve our friendship around that we could just call each other up and talk about. We're not the kind of people that call each other and talk about, you know, so how, how are you doing today? What's going on? No, it's like, okay, tell me about the game. What's this game that we're making? And so that got us on the path to designing games. And uh, Jay is a salesman, obviously, works for Fe- uh, Future Shop and Best Buy and he can sell pretty much anything to anybody, and I'm a thinker. And between the two of us, we sort of made this dynamic duo where we kind of complemented each other's weaknesses and strengths. And between the two of us, we were able to get our first game out in like 2010, and since then we've had a bunch of good games come out. So that's my origin story, uh, mostly about how to be friends with people.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Except you said he's not a thinker. Well, he thinks. <laughs> not what
5: yeah. I think.
1: maybe yeah. <laughs> you, you can ask him. Uh, I got into gaming through D and D as well. Actually, I joined my university games club and uh, played a lot of D and D. And they had this like little cupboard of euro games. So they had like Medici and Carcassonne. And I was like, oh, what are these? Well, I tried them. and I was like, this is pretty great. Like I don't have to commit to a campaign or anything like that. And so I slowly kind of. As university got busier for me it was much easier for me to fit board games into my life than it was to keep playing D&D and uh, there wasn't much of a scene in Australia at the time I'm from Australia uh, and I was living in Brisbane and so it was like mostly role-playing games a little bit of board games I moved uh, came to Toronto in 2009 and not long after uh, Snakes and Lattes opened and so there was somewhere for me to go as a person who like was living out of a backpack uh, for me to play games and meet people, and it kind of just snowballed from there. And I got like really involved in board games in Toronto. I decided to start writing about them, and yeah, I, I mostly do content creation uh, for board game media. So, and that's kind of led me to go to a bunch of conventions and meet designers and become friends with them. They're just people. Weird, I know. <laughs> um, and she just, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's nice to just talk about games with people who that's what they do like I have a nine-to-five day job I like work as an executive assistant I'm not a game designer for a living and so it kind of just like is interesting for me to have friends who do that all the time and talk to them about games so.
2: mm-hmm. okay don't moan don't mumble growing up in the 2000s <laughs> my god (laughs) I was very much into trading card games so that's how I kind of got into games the whole Yu-Gi-Oh Pokemon all that kind of thing doing the tournaments. and I was always that kid that played the basics Monopoly sorry whatever whatever it wasn't until I got older that I got into playing more complex games longer games Kevin staring at me (laughs) (laughs) and stuff like that then eventually met Kevin He's pretty great, like I said. Uh, we actually designed together because I came onto his games. We started just designing things together. I'm repeating myself. I don't know. I I just kind of came into this. I'm still pretty young, <laughs> right? We started writing blog posts about <laughs> two years ago about getting into game design, which is Probably why I'm here. So we write to help others and to help new people get into the industry. We also started showing up at the conventions, playtesting nights, brought our own games just to get in. That was the biggest thing I found with my origin story is being a part of the community. Getting into the community is a huge, huge part of where my thing comes from. Because I just started showing up, I just started introducing myself to people. I started hanging around, and then. Eventually now I'm friends with people like Sen who are just much higher than I am in the industry. But we're still cool.
3: Not much taller though. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's a battle over there on the height side. (laughs) Sen's
2: taller. Sen's actually taller.
0: So talking about uh, the kind of things you're learning along the way, maybe uh, a helpful uh, next question to go into is uh, what kind of uh, skills um, and experiences do you think shape you as a designer, what uh, what things do you think that uh, you bring as a designer? already was kind of talking about some of the differences between him and Jay. Uh, do you want to share a little bit about um, kind of skills and then also resources that you you have discovered along the way of kind of being a designer
4: and being inspired to be a designer? Sure. Um, you might ask some questions to the audience, for please. So you're obviously at this panel because you have an interest in the topic. How many people here? Have an idea for a game? All right. How many people have a playable prototype of a game? Okay. How many of you would like to work full time as a game designer? Alright. How many people would just be happy having a published game from? That? Okay. I'm just trying to get a read of what because there's a lot of things about breaking into game design, and there's a lot of places on the spectrum. There are I don't know the exact number of games that come out in a year, but it's got to be more than 12, right? It's, By, it's uh, yeah. maybe. Are, yeah, Probably it's around
5: like, I think it was like yeah, almost 4,000. It's
4: 4,000 games, published games. Uh, so there's plenty of people publishing games, but there's also plenty of games being published. So how do you, if you want to be in the board game industry, I'm guessing people are here because they want to know how to get their game published. Is there any other topics? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um, Even just Starting, like where do you get prototype parts, or where are we at?
4: All right, well I'll just talk and then you can ask questions if we, yeah. Maybe
2: what other jobs there are in the game industry
4: besides being a
5: designer. Okay, cool. Um, There are, there are many. Um, I'm just,
4: I'm just, there's, there's writers, there's graphic designers, there's production people, there's marketing people, convention coordinators. Manufacturers, Manufacturing Liaisons, Distributors, Distributors, Reps. Editors,
2: Developers, developers Professional developers. Play testers. Uh,
3: yeah, so I think uh, there's a question actually on an online forum that a bunch of us are a part of. I think almost all of us are a part of it that are here. Um, and the question was asked, you know, what is the number one thing that you wish people would be doing as a job um, from the professional side? Like what do we wish there were more of? And the answer was developers and product managers. Uh, so people who actually take a product from a done, finished game, in terms of mechanics and stuff, and then produce it into an actual product that can be sold on a shelf. right? So that's where a lot of publishers are looking for more help, is in development and product management.
4: So. What was your question before I hijacked uh, everything? Yeah, no,
0: that's fine. Uh, that's great. Uh, I asked uh, what skills and resources would you recommend as Managing game products and developing.
1: <laughs> could, you, uh, could you share with uh, the class what that forum is that I'm not a part of, oh, and it oh, might yeah, be helpful sorry, for that, people that breaking would be, into uh, board game design. On
3: Facebook, it is the Card and Board Game Designers Forum, and then there's a couple, like, adjacent forums like the Card and Board Game Publishers Forum, and Card and Board Game Kickstarter Forum, things like that. Like, if you just look up Board Game Design um, and Guild on Facebook, you'll find many things. You um, even plug your own one that you started. Game Artists. Cana- well, the Game Artists, but the Canadian industry. Oh yeah, yeah, there's a Canadian (laughs) analog game industry, game design and industry forum on there somewhere. So yeah, find it and I'll add you. Because honestly, um, one of the skills, like if we're going to talk skills, like Daryl actually asked the question that Rob never answered. Um, The question... waiting for you to take a breath. I know,
5: I know.
3: One of the things that um, really is actually helpful is the ability to not just network, but make authentic relationships in the industry. Um, So, the witty banter that you hear between a lot of us on this panel is because we're actually friends, like we play games together, we see each other at conferences multiple times a year, we kind of like each other, we work on projects together with each other, so uh, networking is one thing, but building actual friendships and relationships is kind of what I think this industry is a lot about. Um, When you look at why we play analog games around a table, That's kind of what it's about, too, like relationships, right? So why isn't the industry about that as a whole? Well, it is, so there you go. So make good friends.
0: I'm going to jump in with a new question. So uh, what about uh, what roadblocks might a game designer face? And that might be mental or emotional or things that might happen along the way.
1: Welcome to the world of imposter syndrome. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I am the representative of it. I, and Rob gives me shit about this all the time, but I don't feel like I'm a board game designer. Uh, I've tested a game once. I've tested other people's games more. I don't have any, like background in game design or anything like that. And so for me, imposter syndrome is a huge thing for me to overcome to realize like, why couldn't I actually just make a game and play test it and have people give me feedback and maybe
4: publish it? Mm -hmm. Well, well, I can tell you why, because that's a very painful process. (laughs) It is.
2: Especially your first prototype.
4: Oh, especially your 100th. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So just just so you
4: know, imposter syndrome gets minimized never entirely goes away. getting excited about your first prototype is very exciting Uh, then you all of a sudden at the back of your head realize you have to do the first play test and the excitement goes (laughs) way down because that's after you do this big thing that you're excited about someone goes yeah that's not good and it's not going to be unless you're very very good or very very lucky or both Mm -hmm. Um, diligence and stubbornness i think is key to actually making a good game any one of us in this room could make a very bad game very quickly (laughs) we have played enough games to know how games work and throw it together takes quite a bit of effort to make it pretty good and then it takes a lot of effort and a lot of practice to make it very good. It is a craft. It is like playing an instrument. It is like cooking. It is like sewing. You have to make a ton of mistakes. You have to do a lot of mediocre work and then you have to get those moments of inspiration based on a foundation of having done mediocre work so you know the mistakes. All of my first prototypes are atrocious. Some people would argue some of my published games are atrocious. That's fine. Everyone has different tastes in how these things work. I've just gotten a little bit more stubborn. I get a little bit less despondent when something doesn't work, and I'm a little bit better at differentiating between, no, this game is just stuck, versus, no, this actually isn't a good idea. Let's move on to a different one. But it's all the same place. Making something from nothing is impossible. And it's very, very hard. I will get to that point where I have to do a prototype and we're going to game night, and my wife, who's in the arts, and we work together, and I'll be like, let's just play a published game. She's like, no, you're bringing your prototype. "Eh, is there gonna be wine? Because I don't mind if there's wine, because then I don't have to, you know. So it doesn't go away. Um, That's making a game. You touched upon something I kind of wanted to follow up on. This is an industry, and in some ways it's a very medieval industry. There is a box that is made, and it is shipped and then it is put on another type of transport, and then a merchant sells it at a markup.
3: That sounds like a game. That's yes. like a game out of that. That's <laughs>
4: yeah. This has been going on for a very long time, and I think a lot of people who play games play them from a place of passion, which is fantastic, but when there's money involved, it becomes a product. And the product needs to be profitable, and it needs to be marketable, and it needs to have a point of difference from other games. So you need to be able to say, well, this is kind of like for people who play these games, But here's why they would choose to play this game over those other games. I sometimes give advice to people who are on their first game and I look at their prototype, I play it and it's clearly a game that they and their game group love and would retail for like $200 from the components that they have in it. And then only... I, I used to make a joke, no one wants a game that, like, requires 15 people and takes all day to play. That would never happen. And Civ is going on here. <laughs> yeah, right. So lost, I, have lost, I have lost my joke. So I'm looking for another one. But anyway, there's, there's a difference between making a there's between designing a game, which is own no problems, and then making a game that's commercially viable or interesting. If there's 4,000. So there's a lot of people who will be like, yeah, it's pretty good. Let's take a, a shot on it. But you still need to be able to put on that business hat and say, how much is this game going to cost? Who's going to play it? Does it play down to two? Can I get a six-player out of it? Why do I have 350 dice custom-made? Right? Is that too many dice for this game? No. My no. answer <laughs> it's, it's 90 in your game, right? Yeah. But they're not custom. They're not yeah. custom, and they're small. They're 10 millimeter, right? Yeah. So anyway, I, those are just some questions that you—it's a way to frame it when you become a professional, whether it's a critic or a podcaster, or any place in the game industry, the word industry is very important. It's people showing up to work on time, it's people meeting deadlines, it's people, I overdo it with the time, but that's just how I <laughs> like how to roll. Yeah.
0: But you look so good at I, right?
4: If I show up at a convention without it, I get a lot of people very confused now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and so if you wanna be in the industry, it's, it's basically taking away a little bit of the magic of just games being just a pure entertainment and game becoming a business and that's sometimes a hard transition to make mm-hmm. rob without a tie would be like daryl without a hat I know. yeah i, I saw him without tie. a hat we were on a call together he didn't have a hat and i was freaked out
1: <laughs> industry <laughs> secrets right there uh i think a uh, roadblock uh for some people would be uh just not really understanding playtesting. Like if you've never playtested somebody else's game, it'd be really hard to sit down with a game you've prototyped and understand what you're doing and how to take feedback. Mm-hmm. If you've never given feedback, if you've never thought about somebody else's game in that critical kind of way, uh I encourage you all to try playtesting somebody else's game. It's a very interesting experience. There are a couple of local cons that happen. There is regular designer nights that happen in Toronto. It is, I think, a very key thing. And if you haven't done that, you're missing a big chunk of what you need to to start designing or keep designing.
3: Yeah, because like Rob said, I mean, taking that harsh feedback on a product you put a lot of time and love and effort into can be difficult, right? Mm
2: -hmm. And applying that feedback as well, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
3: Oh, uh, one thing I was going to say as a roadblock is uh, kind of that old adage that uh, perfection is the enemy of progress is really, really true. So I'm going to tell you a little life story of Sen. Uh, Sen growing up in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, way up north, where the snowbanks are like six feet high, for real. Um, so one day my teacher in grade six, I believe, took me aside. I thought she was going to give me a heck because I was dating her daughter at the time, but. No, it was something else. Uh, She said, hey, Sen, how come you haven't finished this project? And I was in an enrichment program, so I had all these projects that I always said I was going to do. I made outlines and goals and all these things. And by the end of it, she kind of did this thing where she said, hey, I think I know why you don't. It's because it's so perfect in your head, and you're only like a 12-year-old boy, and you can't make it as perfect out in the real world as it is in your head, and so you never try." because you know you're destined to fail. And that was the aha moment for me in terms of turning me around from somebody who lived in their head, which was what you did when you were an Asian kid in Northern Ontario, um, and into somebody who actually did things. So for those of you who have ideas, I really challenge you to actually make it. And when I say make it, I don't mean 600 cards in a spreadsheet, right Daryl? (laughs) <laughs> that's a funny story. Um, that's a whole other story. Uh, but I mean, I mean uh, we, we call it uh, MVP or a minimum viable product where you are, say, let's make enough cards to play two player for like three turns. And if it floats, let's set it sail. If it sinks, chuck it. But I know without investing all that time and effort and love and artwork and all that kind of stuff and money, whatever I had to invest in making the full game, that it's not worth it anymore because I've done it. Uh, and just in the act of doing, you're going to learn a lot, um, other than letting it, you know, brew in your head for so long that it becomes this unattainable goal that you're never going to get to. So put it on the table, push the pieces around, deal the cards out fast.
2: And with those pieces, just know that they don't have to be perfect right away. It could be, pretty. Yeah, it could be on paper. You could have little stick men drawn as your warriors and that's okay. Like this. <laughs> right? It doesn't need to be a perfect product right away. You could have little dice from different games. You can have Monopoly money as cards. It doesn't matter as long as you can convey your idea, right? Especially when bringing it out and playtesting it, we don't expect full art, full box, nice cardboard pieces. It's just got to be something that will display exactly what you're thinking. So don't worry about getting the art or getting all that stuff done before you even playtest because there's going to be a lot of changes happening. So allow them to be happening. Allow the change to happen and with the pieces you work with.
0: Alright, uh, our next question I have here is, uh, and maybe each person could give a, an example, but what is a, what is a thing or a place that inspired you to want to work on a specific game? Do you have any examples of places that you find inspiration for game design?
4: Like physical places? Yeah,
0: could, or a theme, or uh How do you... How do is it, you, how is do you it a body of a water?
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I just am inspired by things I am like I nerd out about. And so, like give
0: an example of like what you're working on that you're uh, thinking about. I mean, t- so other people can hear examples.
1: So uh, I have an idea that I've never actually worked on beyond notes, but it's about museums like, I would love to make a game about a museum because I love museums. And the Twitter
0: I, is, I heart museums. <laughs> so it would be
1: fascinating for me to translate what I know about museums and how they operate into a board game. Uh, that's a little bit complicated to begin with. Um, so I, uh, after playing a bunch of Uwe Rosenberg's like polyomino games, I started thinking about how I might be able to make a game like that. And what would it be? And I thought about an Australian animal uh, called a bowerbird and the way they put together their nests. And I thought that would be a really cool way to make a polyomino game. And went from there. Like I was just like, that's a cool animal. I want to see what I could do with like information about them.
4: Um, Everyone gets inspiration in different places. A lot of people get them from mechanics. A lot of people get them from theme. Uh, A third thing you can get it from which isn't obvious is is sometimes physical items, right? Like a Jenga tower obviously Mm -hmm. probably came from the physicality of it. Another place I often find inspiration is I want to evoke a feeling. A game idea that I had that I haven't started on I don't know what I would do or or if I will do it is uh, my daughter went off to college this past fall Mm. and I wanted to make a game that, see I'm already getting choked up, (laughs) that uh, evokes (laughs) the feeling of loss and pride all at the same time. I bet that you there's
1: a German word for that, buddy. I'm yeah. sure there is a German word for that. Lost and yeah. Uh, that Yeah.
4: That, that doing everything you're supposed to do at a parent feels incredibly satisfying and incredibly sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I have half an idea for it. And uh, maybe I'll make it, maybe I won't.
3: I actually remember that tweet. Yeah. And I uh, cried. <laughs> oh, no, bless.
4: And uh, on a lighter note, or in a less, you know, personal note, uh, i after i finished pandemic legacy season one the publisher asked me to be a project manager to help because there's a lot of technical manufacturing issues to to make it um turns out i'm very bad at that and the way i learned it is i was trying to coordinate with three different groups i was trying to a hong kong group a german group and a montreal group all who spoke english all as a second language, all with different cultures, all with different time zones. And we would have these meetings where we would agree on what we were going to do. And then three days later, no one had done anything that we had agreed all for a different reason. And I said, this is what it's like to go crazy. Like everyone is like, we're in perfect agreement. And then you look and everyone had a different idea of what you talked about. And I turned that into the game Mountains of Madness, which you can play downstairs, which is people have 30 seconds to communicate what cards they're going to play. And then everyone has to play the cards they think that they agreed on and no one ever gets it right. So that that was an inspiration there, because I I was like, well, that's insanity, and that's a Cthulhu game, and so it turned into a Cthulhu party game.
3: Uh, For me, um, I'm a huge nerd. Um, Not in height, but. uh, So I get a lot of inspiration, and and fortunately for me, I also get the permission to play in a lot of other people's sandboxes, so Godzilla, um, Avatar, Legend of Korra, you know, Dragon Ball Z, all sorts of licenses that I get access to through game design. Uh, And so I get to live out my childhood dreams of working in those worlds. Um, For me, inspiration comes from a a lot of that kind of stuff. So media consumption, I'm rabid. Uh, Like the second a publisher calls me and says, hey, you're gonna make a game with this license. I've downloaded six books into my Kindle. I've read three of them already and they called me like three days ago, that kind of thing. So I'm just voracious when I come to consumption. Uh, which means I have to be voracious, when, or what's the opposite of voracious? I don't even know. Diligent. No. Uh, Laconic. Mm, Ooh, give me wow. a second. I don't know, I have to make a lot of stuff. Restrained. No, I, I just make a lot of content or stuff to make up for my consumption because if I spent all my life consuming, mm. then that would be bad. So I like to make a lot of stuff as well. So pro-lific the inspiration for me, easy. prolific, sure. Oh, Producing, yeah. Uh, so, inspiration for me comes from media that I like, and then it goes out from there.
2: Mm-hmm. I find a lot of inspiration in the world around me. Uh, I take little things I see or little stories I hear, and they turn into ideas in my head. So, like, what happens at a dog sanctuary? Think about that. How what do you raise it? Exactly. Or think about what goes on <laughs> behind the closed doors of the <laughs> dog sanctuary. There.
5: She's gone there. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Right? It's little things like that. So you can always see something in such a nice, beautiful way. But then think about it from somebody else's perspective. And that's where I find a lot of inspiration from in my own ideas. So a lot of people would see a game about, like, let's say, Rocky Road Alamode, right? You are that shop, and you're coming around. It's an ice cream shop game. You go around the block. Really cool. Kickstarter. You can find it. Um, They come up, and then they serve the kids. Flip it. What if you were the kids? What if you were trying to chase that ice cream truck, Mm -hmm. right? How would the game differ? How would the mechanics differ? Where would the idea come from? Or say Nicole's idea of having a museum. Okay, what other things go into that, right? What if you were an artifact and you didn't want to be in that museum, right? What if you were a robber and you were trying to get into that museum?
5: No. No.
1: there's already like a game like that and I felt very bad just <laughs> or it could
2: be like a night at the museum kind of thing where everything comes to life mm-hmm. how would you play that so I like to take little things that are already in common life and flip it see the other perspectives of it and see So like maybe your spy game is super cool but what if they had no talent at all right what if they were the worst <laughs> spies in the world how would that game play Right? See? So that's where I find inspiration from, is taking classic ideas and flipping them into something new.
0: Uh, I'm going to direct this. Um, I'm probably only going to do another question, and then I'll go to the audience, by the way, and then if we have more time, I have other questions. But I don't want to run out of time giving you guys questions. But before we go there, to give you a little prep time to start thinking of that question that you want to ask, uh, a question for the panel, are there any books, podcasts, um uh, different, uh, places online that you would point to, uh, that can be resources for designers. I'm going to point first to Sin, actually, to maybe talk about the Bamboozle Brothers mm. steps.
3: Oh yeah. And so, then
0: from there, everyone else
3: yeah. jump, jump around. If you go to www.bamboozledbrothers, just like it sounds, .com, uh, and look for the steps, you can find our 37 steps to get published, I think, I can't remember how many there are, uh, but step 14 is really important, apparently. Uh, that's the one that gets the most hits. Um,
0: you won't believe
5: yeah, it. Right? Uh, some the
3: resources are things like podcasts, like the Meeple Syrup Show, uh, where you can listen to designers talking about design with other designers and publishers and developers and artists and whatnot. There's a bunch of really good uh, podcasts online, so... Uh, board Game Design Roundtable that Rob's on every now and then. Um,
2: Shut Up and Sit Down.
3: Yeah. Um, Daily of
2: Replacement. <laughs> yeah.
3: The L- Ludology yeah. with yeah. Jeff Engelstein and Gil Hova. Um, Gil does another
1: podcast with. Tony and Ian's Ian. To yeah. Um, which is all about breaking, kind of into, breaking board into board games. That's the name of it, isn't that it? That is. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Gil is very approachable as well. He writes uh, quite a lot on his site and is always happy to chat, like at a con or on Twitter. Uh, He designed um, the networks. um, Wordsy. Bad medicine, yeah. uh, Bad medicine, and so he's done a lot of Kickstarter as well. Um, So he has like an insight to that. Uh, Jamie Stegmeier has a lot of resources. He writes constantly. I don't know how constantly. he has. I, I don't know how it, like
0: when does he do now it? Now he does live videos just, every just,
1: week. Yeah, because so, his hands
3: must be so carpal tunnelled. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's just like, so he's just always churning out like the exper- from experience.
3: Yeah, and, and whether or not you like him or not, uh, James Mathy is, is actually he's got a lot of stuff online yeah. that is very very practical.
2: Yeah. What else? There's also a whole bunch of like blog posts reviewing. Conventions or just board games in general. So even if it's not like audio or vis or yeah audio, you can still read about it. There are so many like sources online. I know that we used to write a blog about it and how to get into game design, but there are other blogs too. So if you're worried about a convention or what to bring, I know I can't remember the website, but there's one that just reviews conventions and reminds you of all the essentials you have to bring. It's like your hand sanitizer, your cough drops, your whatever you need. But it's those kind of little things that you need to think about as well.
4: I uh, I have a different path I, that I recommend. Like, a lot of people learn from reading, a lot of people learn from listening, I learn from doing, for the most part. Uh, one path that I recommend you can do if you're new to game design or you're stuck or you don't have this great idea is just take a game you like. I assume everyone here plays games. Um, and do, like honestly, just write a book report on it, like a two page analysis, like start to think like critically, like why do I like it? Why do I like it? Where did it fall down? Where did it lose me? Do a little bit of like math, look at the deck, like start to demystify it and turn it into an analyze it. Then take that game and do some original design around it. Right? If it's got a faction, make a new faction. If it doesn't have a two player game, make a two player variant, like make an expansion. Like you're working for a company, you're a developer designers. Hey, hey, we have this game. It's great, but we need a two player version. Like, you've already taken apart, You've already played it. You already know what the game's supposed to do. Try to make it, like, do something different. Then do that with another game. And then when you get those two games, combine them and try to make a unique game out of those two games that you analyzed. That will take a good chunk of time and actually just show you, like, the difference between multiplayers and two players and how hard it is to expand something. And, if you're, like, take two different games. Like, okay, now I'm going to take... Name a game. Twister. Stop the... Stop Thief and Twister, and I'm going
1: <laughs> to make a mess
5: um, out, of those, out
4: of those two games. But, you know, spend some time off and on, like, what's the physicality of Twister look like with the sound effect. audio clues? Like, I, that's mean, I not... literally
1: have no idea why I suggested Twister. Yeah. <laughs> I know why I suggested
4: Twister. Yeah. But we just talked about it. Um, so that's, like, a, a doing. Like, you're like, oh, I need this great idea. Yeah. Like, well... You know, like, I I do cooking is my main hobby, and so, you know, I can go to work in a restaurant, you know, you don't design the menu on your first day. It's like, go chop potatoes and go make the things that other people have decided and learn how to make, like, the stocks for the soups. Like, do other people's ideas and refine them and riff on them. That's that's fine. Even if you took two games and mashed them together and came up with something pretty much new, it's going to be your own game, and many people may not even know where you started from by the time... That game has been designed and developed and changed. Yeah, I mean, if you honestly look at a bunch of the games, that's what
3: they are. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right?
4: They're just mashups.
1: Yes. Um, I think also, uh, I don't know whether there's super much um, podcasting that comes out of the um, Unpub, um, but it's a really good resource. They happen not up here. We have um, Puerto Tio and Play and Pub. Um, but if you're looking to go down to the States, Unpub has a main big one every year, which happens next weekend in uh, Baltimore. But then they have smaller ones throughout the year um, mm-hmm. that you can go to. Yeah, and there's Protospiel.
2: Protospiel's the best, I think, for like newer designers. It's very casual.
5: What?
3: And that's in Ann Arbor, and then First Metatopia one? in New Jersey Metatopia, in, that in that November, on my birthday, usually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really good one for tabletop, all tabletop, like RPGs yeah. and board games. Protospiel is typically board games, as is Unpub. Yeah.
1: And don't expect people to just play your games and for you not to play other people's 100%. games. Oh, yeah, That's don't like be that my of peeve. Uh-huh. Like, you might be super passionate about your game, but you have to put some time in for other people. Mm-hmm. It's a community of designers, and don't be that guy.
0: So uh, if you want to put up a hand, if you have a question, we'll try to get through as many as we can. Any Anyone got a question for our panel? I'll start here. So assuming that you have, let's say, a game, you've prototyped it, let's say you have an audience, what would you recommend? Would you go for a publisher or how do you go through to manufacturing and eventually shipping? Great question. Did everyone hear that or would it be helpful if I just repeat it or what I heard and you can tell me if this was right? Yeah, repeat but it. But if, if you have a game and you've been working on it, how do you navigate either you know, getting it with a publisher and
4: what would that look like or even doing it yourself?
5: <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Um,
4: I have often recommended for your first game going to a publisher because there's a lot about manufacturing that even designers don't have a lot of awareness of, and that's what a publisher does. They're putting up the money, but they also know how to go from a, a concept to a product. Mm-hmm. Um, this is; These are all learnable skills, but it's it's the type of thing that even people who know what they're doing with, say, like a Kickstarter often have a lot of trouble with less than full container load shipments in the Pacific and whether you go through the Panama Canal yeah. or go to a Western port, right? Like or, these are, yeah. this is the medieval oh, part. Yeah, yeah there's
3: um, all sorts of horror stories about what happens in ship, like even things like that don't dry properly because they wanted them shipped too quick and the factory put them in the container didn't let them dry properly and they come with mold, right? <gasps> Stuff like that that you don't yeah. want to deal with, really? That becomes a publisher problem when you're the designer. That's a good thing. <laughs> um, there's a lot. Yeah. But
4: there's people who want to see it Start to finish. And so, if you're a person who wants to learn all aspects of this, it's not arcane, forbidden lore. It's very practical knowledge, and you just have to ask a lot of questions and listen to podcasts and read about it. And probably there's a number of people at different distributors or manufacturers who would be very happy to spend 15 minutes on the phone talking a little bit about their job and what the steps are. Mm-hmm. But you are, when you get to the point where your game's done and you're like, I want to take it to the finish line, you are. Maybe a quarter
5: done, maybe
4: half done. So if you want to move on to your next game because you like design, do the publisher route. If you want to learn what we're talking about of like how a concept becomes a product, then either do it yourself or partner with someone who knows how to do it. You're
1: your own project (laughs) manager. You agreed on that.
4: That's related. I, I don't know any material. I'm sure there is. I don't know it. I just learned it by being around it for 20 years. And even now, with my new company Restoration Games, I am still learning that back-end almost daily. Yeah,
3: yeah, so, um, if you look up www.james, J-A-M-E-S Matthew, M-A-T-H-E.com I think is his website. Mm-hmm. He's got blogs yeah. on, like, everything that has to do with the publishing side of things, as well as Kickstarter. Um, he's the publisher for Minion Games, uh, which did, like, um, uh, which one was the Manhattan Project, and yeah. things like yeah. that. Um, so... The other thing you have to ask yourself as a designer, if you are primarily a designer is, do you want to be a designer or do you want to be a publisher? Uh, because sometimes doing both and having another job and a family and all that kind of stuff isn't possible. Or it's hard anyways, it and, takes uh, a lot of sacrifices. It's sleep. You, you just don't sleep. sleep. <laughs> you just and don't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 it can be hard to do. And you kind of have to think, what do you really value? Um, So a lot of people, if you value control of the final product, you're probably gonna wanna be the publisher because literally as soon as I fire off the final files to somebody, sometimes I'm out of the loop until I see the product at the door and say, oh, that's what it looks like. Mm -hmm. What is this, junk art? Yeah, (laughs) junk art? (laughs) Um, And that's okay, that's not usually the way I do it. I usually have a lot of hands-on, but for some projects, you're not gonna get any control, like absolutely nothing, especially Mm -hmm. when it's related to an intellectual property, typically you have almost none. Mm Um, but if you want to be creative and jump from the next project to the next project to the next project, like Rob said, unless you view finding out who your distribution partner is and finding out who their distribution partner is as a project, you're not going to be doing that on a new thing as a publisher. It's, it's a lot harder. There's a lot of mazes to run through as a publisher. They're not impossible. Like Rob said, there's information out there. You just have to be willing to go look for it. And it's a lot of um, emails, phone calls, and just feet on the ground. And then you actually have to want to actually sell things because that's how you make money.
4: Yeah. I, I was going to say, and sorry, I know I don't mean to jump back in, but the the thing that's forgotten is marketing is or in sales and promotion is a real thing. Those oh, yeah. 4,000 games. If you go like, I did it, it's on the boat. <laughs> no one knows about it. Right. So which conventions do you want to go to? How do you get the games there? How do you staff the booth? Where do you put ads? how do you promote it is all kind of vital.
2: And if you don't want to go in the publishing, you can always send your game to a publisher or at Gen Con they have meetings that you can set up in which you can pitch your game. Or if there's like an open table, you can just be, "Hey, send you have 5 minutes, can you sit down and I like, do. we can talk about this. Do you mind?" No. There you go. Right? <laughs> it's just just approaching people like they're regular people and be like, "Hey, I have this game that I've been working on and if it's okay, I would love if you could sit down and just hear me out. That's the biggest thing about it is just, and even if you can't talk to them in person, send them an email. Be like, hey, I've got this game. Do you want it, like a copy of it? I can send it to you. Or getting out to your local um, like designers nights or stuff like that, Snakes and Lattes every third Monday in Toronto, fantastic, right? You, there's a whole bunch of designers that will just play your game and give you feedback, right? And if you've already got that audience for it, it's more just putting yourself out there and knowing that it's the continuous of risk of, even if it's your first or 100th, you're still gonna be getting feedback no matter what. You just gotta keep throwing yourself into it. So if you don't wanna publish and you do wanna be that designer, keep throwing yourself into it. And you might get rejected 50,000 times, but someone might say yes. It's just the reality in the industry. Just keep pushing.
1: Uh, I think uh, related to that is, um, like, at cons that aren't playtesting and and unpublished games cons, um, there will be things uh, that are, like, publisher speed dating. And that can be an enormously, uh, like, fulfilling experience because it just Mm -hmm. connects you with a whole bunch of people you wouldn't have met otherwise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a small amount of time with a whole bunch of people, and you might be like, "Uh, that kind of publisher doesn't sound good for what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might meet a publisher you'd never knew about who are like right up your alley who are like focused on making Thematic games and you're like this is perfect. I didn't know they existed and now I want to work with them
2: Yeah, definitely research on what you're looking for though Because there's definitely a publisher that will most likely be within the brand that you're looking to work with So there's usually somebody for you do your research ahead of time before you go out like emailing every single person but even like go stop by the TO table today Most of the designers that are there are also people with published games that can help you. You don't have to talk to just publishers. You can literally talk to Sen, talk to Nicole, talk to Rob, like talk to Daryl. Daryl's really good with that kind of stuff. (laughs) Daryl's fantastic with that. (laughs) He likes to talk. He does. And he's really (laughs) good at it. (laughs) <laughs> and if
4: you'd like to know more about pitching a game please join us tomorrow at tomorrow? <laughs> I don't know Noo- noon give or take for
2: Sometimes. Pitch Perfect it's Pitch perfect. Room. Yeah. I'm not on it don't worry
4: yeah there is a panel tomorrow about it pitching will be games one to one publishers to two, entirely presented two
1: in a cappella style
5: <laughs> wow
4: that I need like to practice <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. alright
4: sorry we took a lot of time on that question yeah. thank you The so next question I did
1: have a question feel free to move on if it feels redundant mm-hmm. oh. but you spoke a little bit about networking and creating opportunities for genuine interaction. Yeah. Do you have any advice to give the person for whom showing up to designer night, prototype in hand, feels like an impossible task mm. because they are shy or have sure. never had to put themselves That's out there? That's a great question. Yeah. yeah. Hit um.
3: me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicole, how did you get your prototype in front of people? I, mean, uh, I know the answer, but so, I want to get the story from uh, you.
1: I'm a member of a Facebook group called Board Game Broads, which uh, Pam, who does proto runs.
2: It's a good group. I'm and it's a know.
1: great supportive group for women in the industry, mm-hmm. not just designers, but content creators mm-hmm. and, and all sorts of people. And so uh, through that, uh, there was a little meetup that we had one evening how long ago now was it, six six months ago, close to a year ago now, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, a bunch of us turned up with prototypes, and we played a whole bunch of different games, Mm -hmm. and mine was one of them, and the feedback that I got from that, that was the first time I had playtested that game, and it was with people that I felt comfortable Talking about my weird idiosyncratic like imposter syndrome things with and so I think it's just a matter of if you don't want to turn up to just an open designer night Mm
5: -hmm.
1: try and connect with people online Mm -hmm. and it will lead to like local people that you'll be able to connect with yeah I'm just gonna jump in before you
0: say just so that everyone knows we have about five minutes officially left now thankfully we are the last group
5: so if we oh, go a
0: couple minutes long. Our friend here is cool with it. <laughs> uh, but I just want to honor your time as well because some people will have sign-ups for different things that you're doing. So just so you're aware of the time. But we're going to keep going yeah. here. But if you need to slip out, like, don't feel bad. This is the time to sneak out. Just give us a little
2: wave when you go. (laughs) I'm
0: I'm going to jump
2: in if that's okay, Nicole. Yeah. So I have diagnosed anxiety, which probably explains a lot of the hand movements, repeating myself. It's a huge part of everything. I have denied being on panels before or even going to events because it has been too much. Mostly with events like this, even when you get overwhelmed, if you didn't notice there is the quiet room down the hall, use those, right? And then there's also safety ambassadors at this con specifically. Right? So those are people that you can talk to about it, or even if you're just like, I don't know what to do, I need somewhere to go, they can help you. Right? There's always gonna be volunteers and people like that who are willing to help you, or if like just getting your game on the table is a terrifying experience. It's absolutely terrifying. And it's so nerve-wracking, like my hands get sweaty, I start shaking, I start bumbling over myself, and it's it feels embarrassing, but I know in the long run everybody at that table with me. Is supporting me. Mm-hmm. The community is so fantastic, and I cannot They've say that there. enough.
5: Yeah, yeah. The, the everybody's
2: been there. The community is there for you. Yeah. Do
3: you have your game here. I,
2: I'm asking for a friend, actually. Oh, while okay. I'm just right. on. Does,
5: does your friend <laughs> have actually, their game here? Are
3: and they if here? They, no. <laughs> if they do, can they go get it? Because I will play it. Yeah,
2: yeah, I will. I will absolutely Thanks. play it. Absolutely, maybe oh, next year. Yeah, yeah oh. for sure. So,
4: thank you. Another uh, sort of. Advanced option if like it's really too hard to be there in person mm-hmm. a lot of times the last step I do with a game is I give it to a group and have them video it and upload yep. it as a private YouTube and yep.
1: So you can cry in private afterwards. Exactly. I will, I will and I know my, my I, yeah <laughs> I know my weakness.
4: I will DM a playtest to make it go smoother. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, don't forget you get this thing that you can get. No. Yeah, yep, you just, no like I will I will not <laughs> I will not do it and at some point I'll be like ah, no uh, you just mm. Yep, it's and totally then, something you can if do. it's on video I can't interrupt. Mm-hmm. So you can also when you watch now I don't recommend it with earlier ones because oftentimes it's just too raw and too unstable. Mm-hmm. But if you if anxiety is an issue and you really someone can't be there. Their own. If you can get the game playable with the rules
5: mm-hmm.
4: and ask a group to play it and video it, you can watch it with your finger on the space bar and after a minute, I'm like, okay, that's enough, <laughs> right? And you can, just, you can just take it in little bits and pieces and you just take notes and you can't interrupt it and you can pause and you can stop and you can be like, no, nope, that's enough. Okay, I saw what was working. Yeah. And it, there's no social awkwardness of five minutes and you're like, eh, it's too hard for me. So that's that's another option. Um, but it's harder to get a game to work without you there at the beginning Mm -hmm. explaining the rules and answering questions. Here
3: is a pro tip though, um, not to, not to say though is a, contradicting that, but um, for all of y'all who are playtesting or want to playtest, um, call it quits when it's breaking. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. Like seriously, shut it down. Yep. Don't put yourself through the hassle of dealing with people complaining about stuff that you already could see is gonna fail. Mm -hmm. Once it's, end on a good note, say thank you very much. Mm Let's debrief now. I don't need to see anymore. I know the rest of it's not gonna work.
1: Yeah, value those people's time Yeah, not and, only does it show yeah, you Like down, a right? playtest doesn't really always have to get to the end of the game. No, absolutely it not
4: shouldn't actually a lot. I mean until you're near the end.
1: We, we yeah. spoke a lot about this this morning uh, with a <coughs> how to playtest well panel, which I assume will be available the audio of which is worthwhile to listen to from a game design perspective as well um, mm-hmm. and just as a playtester like if I, you know, manage expectations, say like, we're going to spend two hours and we're going to play the whole game, mm-hmm. and I'll want you to give me feedback at the end, or I just want to see how the setup goes and see if you guys can figure it out from the rules. Mm-hmm. Understand what you want out of it, and it will help your play testers, and it will help you a lot more. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So on that note, just also respecting your time, and we've done the five minutes. I just want to say thanks. if you want to give a round of applause for you. We're going to work our way out, but because there's no one after us, feel free to continue the conversations. Don't feel like it only has to be a conversation with them as well. Feel free to talk to each other. <laughs> it's a great way to meet other people and play test games maybe later tonight. You want to play test each other's games.
1: Don't forget to visit Prototeo downstairs yeah. if you mm-hmm. just want to like, approach yeah. Pam and the people down there and just say, like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. Can you give me some advice? Yeah, and
3: when's Pam? your next event? Yeah. So. In September, that's what it is.
2: Yeah. And Pam is super helpful with that kind of thing. If you're like, I have this game, she'll be like, oh, I can find you players. I'll go around the room and I've got more. She's this is right. a
1: great facilitator. Yes. yes. She's
2: fantastic with She's that. She's
1: incredibly helpful and friendly yeah. and
2: supportive. And I'll probably be there all night too.
1: Yeah. going to be available? We're oh, not sure
3: yet. This is on yeah, the RPG pleasure. Design Panelcast podcast. Okay. Oh. Well, then he knows. All right, then. I believe it's, if it's Jason that's recording, that's. That's yes. what he does.
5: Yeah.
1: Cool. Oh, hello, Jason. Hi. Hi. Jason. Where will You're this sunny. be available? This
5: I'm happy.
1: Uh, when, to where go? will people be able to listen to these magical audio nubbins? Uh,
0: yes, it will be on the RPG Design Panelcast and breakout usually retweets read, and it very clear on Facebook.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you all for being here. Yeah, come up and you. ask us Yeah. Stuff. If you have more questions, come up and ask.
4: Yeah. Go for it. Thank you very much.
1: I'll tell you where the good coffee is in Toronto. <laughs> do you ask or not? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Right.